It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Elijah Robertson. Well, good morning, everyone. Why don't we go ahead and stand and we will read the word of the Lord together. We're going to be reading in Psalm 23 today, Psalm 23, and we'll be reading the entirety of the chapter, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why don't we read that one more time? It's a short chapter, but there's nothing like the word of the Lord. I'll say a lot of things today, but there. Uh, this is, you can't argue with God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. So let's read that again. Let's enjoy that. Uh, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your presence, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth, for the claim of truth that we see in this precious psalm and all that it means for the believer. I ask that you would just guard my mouth Guard the words that I will speak, Lord, that they would be glorifying to you. I ask that our gaze would be fixed, would be set upon thee, O God. For where else should it be? What else has substance but you? Lord, that we will walk out of this building glorying in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all the more as we think of what it means what you are trying, seeking to, in, to reveal to us of who you are and the position that you take in relation to us. The Lord shepherds 
me. We thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Today we'll be looking at uh, the title, the descriptive title of God that we find in Psalm 23 that David uh, gives right in that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd or the Lord shepherds. What a wonderful claim. I mean, if, if you just stop and begin to think about the, that concept, that reality, the Lord shepherds me. I mean, we could just stop right there and be like, wait a second. What are the implications of this reality? The Lord shepherds. This is not the first time this concept is used in the Bible. It's used many times of God. So it's used, obviously, in many other contexts as well, but specifically, I just want to focus on God choosing to use it as an acceptable description of himself. An acceptable description of him. He doesn't reject this notion. He uses it of himself. Uh, we see it in many other texts, and some like in Psalm 80, verse 1, it says, To the choir master, according to lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm, and it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim shine forth. So what does it call God? A shepherd. In Isaiah 40, 11, it says, speaking again of God, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will, give, uh, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jeremiah 23, 3 says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock. Moving to Ezekiel 34, 12, it says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And of course, in John 10, in different verses, it says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus declares this of himself. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then skipping to verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, and listen to this description, the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25 it says, for, we, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who is the chief shepherd? Amen. Revelation 7, 17, 
says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. That's amazing. That is amazing. There's a mighty claim in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. This psalm hinges on that first statement, that first line. Everything after it finds its meaning, finds its legitimacy, its reasonableness based on the statement that David, who wrote this psalm, as we saw earlier, made in the beginning of the psalm. Of course, he follows that with a declarative response, I shall not want. But even that response only finds its reasonableness in what? That God is my shepherd. That God shepherds me. And, and we could just begin to think about everything else in that psalm. Right? He leads me besides to, well, why? Because he's our shepherd. Even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. Why? Well, it says because he's with me. But what's the purpose of him being with me? He's my shepherd. And we can walk through all the rest of the... Even if you take the two-imagery approach, there's different concepts of how to approach the psalm. And some say it's one imagery throughout the whole thing, which I would probably lean to. But some say it has two images that are being used to portray this concept, but all of it, whether you choose one or two different imageries, are based on this claim that God is a shepherd. We will not be doing an exposition of this whole psalm. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, line by line, which would be a lot of fun. I hope maybe you'll go back and do that. But it would it'd be way out of our time uh, allotment today. But I hope you'll go back and you'll look at it afresh. One of my goals is that we walk out of here with our gaze fixed upon him. You know, it's really interesting in the Western church, in my own life, maybe, maybe I'm guilty and not you, but to, to really, we get so caught up in our circumstantial reality, right? There's always time and place things happening to physical beings, which are time and place. We are spiritual and physical, right? So we are always connected to time and space, and we can get so caught in the circumstantial reality that I am dealing with, or circumstances that I am in, that everything that we think about God, it's like we're really focused here, and what we're doing is finding truth about Him, and what are we doing? We're pulling that truth into the circumstance to use that in my circumstance. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's not, I mean, I hope that we do. But I do think there's something wrong when that's where our gaze is fixed. I don't need to gaze at me. We do a lot of that. Navel gazing, right? That's a waste. That's a waste. Let's gaze at him. And that's what I want to do. I want to just take this title, this name, as it were, of God, that he gives to himself, carrying along David, who pins it. 
what does God, I think this is the question that we have to ask, and we'll talk about this again, but what does God want us to know about him specifically in relationship to us that he's revealing in this name? I have two chief objectives then. Two things, okay? When you walk out of here, I want you to have this. This is a great test for you to know, did I get what he was saying? Or maybe I need to have another talk with him or something like that. Or maybe he failed to communicate what he wanted to communicate. But there's two things that I want you to be looking for. Number one, what does it mean when we say that God is our shepherd? That God is a shepherd. So when you walk out of that door, what does that mean? What is God revealing in that? Number two, and what is the chief end of his shepherding? Do you realize he's not just like running around going, ah, she needs a little shepherding here. I'll take care of this situation. Oh, and there's, here's something over here. Let me deal with that and make that right. He's not doing that. He has an expected end. Isn't that wonderful? Our shepherd is shepherding to an end. Shepherding to a purpose. He's not just dealing with situations and making sure you have some green pastures, you know, some sustenance and, oh, there's an enemy. Let me go take care of the lion and the bear. No, 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 no. He might take care of the lion and the bear. Yes, he will. Yes, he will give you sustenance, but to an end. So when you walk out of here, I want you gazing upon him and saying, that's what it means for the Lord to be shepherding me. And he is doing that. He's doing all the in-between, giving nourishment, all those things, defeating the enemy, but to bring me somewhere. Do you realize that he's bringing you somewhere? There's an end. There's an expected end in what he is doing in his governance work in our lives. So those are the two objectives that we have, and I plan on doing it in this simple outline. I want to give you a reminder, number one, of what we're doing when we think about a name of God. I've already alluded to it, but I just want to give you a reminder so that when we approach a title or a name of God, we remember and realize what its purpose is as we look at it, which will help us to understand what it means when God says he is a shepherd. Then we will define the title, the Lord is my shepherd, or the Lord shepherds me, or the Lord shepherds. Next, we will ask what or to what end is he shepherding us and answer that second objective. And lastly, we're going to look at Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. You know what it says in Hebrews 13? Doesn't he call himself the good shepherd? All right, let's go at it. Number one, a reminder. A title in the name of God is the stooping down of God to communicate himself to us. So we could say in short, it is the self-revelation of God. The first thing we have to remember is what? God is not a shepherd. Now, I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself. Wait a minute. Didn't, didn't it say that he's a shepherd? Doesn't he call himself the good shepherd? But he's not a shepherd, right? He's not walking around with some shepherd's crook and, like, doing shepherd stuff. The son, I would imagine, is not up in heaven going, talking to the father, or the father talking to the son and saying, uh, shepherd. No. He's not 
a shepherd. What is happening in the titles of the names of God? And let's put it this way. He's not a shepherd any more than he's a banner. Does that make sense? Uh, did you guys have that name? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I assumed you did. All right. He's, he, but we realize there are titles, names of God like that. What's happening? They are anthropomorphic uses of language. So that we who cannot know God, do you realize the Bible says that we can't know him, we can't approach him, he dwells in unapproachable light. He is spirit. He's not time and space physical. We know everything through our five senses. If I ask you, hey, uh, what's pizza? You are going to give me descriptors in language based on the five senses. It smells like this. It looks like this. It tastes like this. feels like that. Right? Because that's what we are. That's how we know. But God is pure spirit. You can't know God that way. problem. But God self-reveals, and one of the chief ways that he reveals himself to you and I is through his names. He is stooping down to use human language and ascribe human attributes and forms to himself that we might begin to grasp and see. They don't speak of him in entirety, but they help us reveal, or they help reveal to us true aspects of our God. And chiefly, the names of God are almost always not just about the being of God and the entirety of God and out throughout creation, but of his relationship to humanity. So when you come to a name of God, remember that it is most often it is an anthropomorphic use. God stoops down. Think about this. Does language, can you use language to reveal what a person is? It's mighty difficult. I mean, we can use words upon words upon words upon words, and it's still hard to accurately describe what a person is, let alone using language to describe the infinite, infinitude glory of God. God is humble. So he stoops down to seek to reveal himself to us, and that's what's happening in this title God is not a shepherd, but God is is taking human things and human language and ascribing that to himself that you and I might more rightly know him. And it's wonderful. Theologian um, Louis Burkhoff says this. He says, in order to make himself known to man, God had to condescend to the level of man to accommodate himself to the limited and finite human consciousness and to speak in human language. Isn't that wonderful? God is so humble. But what does that have to do with us? As we seek to understand this title, we must ask, Why does God want us to know this about him? This idea of shepherding, this concept, this motif of the shepherd that God willingly, gladly ascribes to himself. Why is he telling me that? What's going on? 
what's going on here? Why does he want me to know this about him? It's easy to look for a sparkle and pizzazz when we gather new information or to focus, like I said earlier, on the circumstantial situation and not God. Let's ask what he is telling us about him. And let's ask about it foundationally. And then it applies to everything in life and not just one aspect or piece. All right, let's define this name. David starts out, if you look at the text, it starts out with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. or The Lord shepherds me, I think is the way it says in the Latin Vulgate. The Lord shepherds. Shepherds is actually a verb. Now, David uses... All caps, Lord. You guys know what that means, right? That is the proper name. And you guys did have that name, I'm assuming. (laughs) You did have that name, Yahweh, Jehovah, right? The proper name of God. And that's the way we we are noted to it or alerted to it in Scripture. David uses that name. Do you know he could have used a lot of other names? There's, There's other generic names of God, like El or Adonai. Do you realize that Moses, one time when he's praying, he actually calls God by the generic name El? He actually just says, heal her, O El, which just means power or authority, the, the governing will behind things, which I might talk about next time we come, or I come. David, uh, Moses literally just prays to God using that term, and God doesn't reject it. I think it's significant that David uses the proper name of God when he starts out this title, Yahweh shepherds, right? Yahweh shepherds, Yahweh shepherds me. I think that's significant. Why is that significant? That title, Yahweh, which you guys have had already, it was given in Exodus 3, right? Uh, I believe verse 14, when Moses, God is sending Moses to deliver the people of Israel from Pharaoh. But do you realize that that name has a link to the redemptive covenant-keeping God? It's not just I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. But in giving that, in the very context of Exodus 3, if you read through it, what is happening? Moses is saying, "Uh, I don't think I should do this. And then he says, uh, Lord, if I go, and they ask me, well, who sent you? What should I tell them? And then God reveals this name. But do you realize he reveals his name in the context of saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's saying, I am that I am. I am unchanging. I am the immutable God. But he's not just like, throwing out this idea of immutability, but what he's doing is saying, look it, I'm the covenant-keeping God who appeared to your, the patriarchs, right, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm the one who will not change, but in relation to humanity and the fact that I am the covenant redeemer. So that first word, the Lord is my shepherd, that proper name of God, it has a specific connotation to the God of grace, the God who is unchanging in his covenant-keeping promise. Remember when David's thinking back, 
He's thinking about Abraham. What was revealed to Abraham? God chose Abraham and said, from your seed, I will bring the Redeemer and every family of the earth will be blessed. The covenant-keeping God who will not change. So he starts this compound title with the proper name of God, which in the Jewish mind would be inevitably linked to the covenant-keeping Redeemer who is unchanging. So David's saying, the covenant-keeping Redeemer who cannot change in his promises to redeem fallen humanity shepherds me. Do you see the impact of the proper name of God and compound with this idea, this concept of being a shepherd. <clears throat> Let's move on to the word shepherd. This unchanging covenant-keeping redeemer does what? That's what David's answering. He shepherds me. As I said earlier, the part of speech is a verb, and it's been kind of like changed into a noun, but it's a verb. God is actively doing something, or a shepherd in, the, in, in Hebrew would be actively doing something, right? They, they pasture things. They tend to something. They rule over something. This word is a verb that enunciates or declares the active relationship between two things. An active doing. An active relationship between two things. An active association that denotes the rule, authority, sovereignty, sovereign ability, or disposition, either positive or negative, or emotional perspective of the one in relation to the other. So in conclusion, this concept of shepherd enunciates God's active position of superintending in the life of the believer. That God directing, orienting his people to accomplish expected ends. So let's, let's think about these two ideas. We have Yahweh which enunciates, which propels the concept of the unchanging God who keeps his redemptive covenant is actively superintending, orchestrating, orienting, ruling over the life of his flock, of his people, and bringing them to an expected end. That's, that's good. That's what your God is doing. You know, you and I are so fickle. I mean, we feel this way, then we feel that way. We, we ascribe our, our commitment, and then we're off doing that. That's not who our God is. He is the unchanging covenant keeper who chooses the position of shepherd. And what does that mean? That means he chooses to superintend over Ben's life and, and to orchestrate and rule and sovereignly intertwine in Ben's life to, to make sure that Ben ends up where he should be. 
Now, I imagine that you and I, when we look at Psalm 23, don't think that way. We look at it and go, oh, there's green pastures for me and still waters. Oh, and if I, if I so happen to be in the valley of shadow of death, he, my shepherd's with me. He's going to remove that fear and comfort me and, you know, maybe a little discipline. He's got his rod and his staff. That's good stuff. He's with me. Oh, and he'll, he'll nourish me in the presence. That's all good stuff, right? But do you realize that it's not the circumstance that he's shepherding? It's the flock that he's shepherding to bring them to an expected end. And will he be with you in the valley of shadow death? Yes. Will he in, in, have you in green pastures and all those things, still waters? Absolutely. But he is actively working and orienting and working your life for a redemptive purpose as the first, as the proper name of God concludes. Do you see that? He's not just shepherding in the situation. He is doing a redemptive, eternal, that's an important word, eternal work. And he's bringing you to an end. He's bringing you somewhere. This leads me to two questions. Number one, what is that redemptive purpose? And number two, what does this tell me about God? So let's look at that real quick. I think it's very easy. I mean, I could probably say, so what is that redemptive purpose? And you could be like, right? Because he says it right in the psalm. Where does the psalm end? And I will dwell. Where? In the house of the Lord. Forever. Right? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. All Forever, sorry. The house of the Lord. And by the way, he uses the proper name of God there again. The covenant-keeping God, who's keeping his redemptive covenant, will bring me to himself. That's the end. That's what he's doing. Guys, if we're focused on the circumstance, we're going to miss it because the circumstance doesn't always look right or work out. Did it work out for Job? Yeah. Did it? He lost his, all his children. He lost all his stuff. Do you think because at the end of the story he gets twice as much that there wasn't, there wasn't still loss there? There was loss there. And, and who brings Job up to the devil in the first place? Oops, God did. The devil didn't come to God and be like, so there's this guy Job. No. God says, to the devil, the enemy of your soul, have you considered my servant Job? And if we're focused on the right now, the boils and the struggle and the loss, we are not going to see. God is doing something bigger. He's doing something bigger. I know what it's like. Oh, God, if you just deal with that circumstance, my life would work. That, that sin, that struggle, it's eating me up. That eating disorder, that anxiety, just that. 
you'll miss it. Because you'll miss him. Because it's really all about the anxiety, the eating disorder, the anger disorder, the lust. It's not about him. He's doing something bigger. The redemptive God is actively shepherding for a whole, eternal, redemptive purpose. That's where he's bringing Job. That's where he's bringing David. Think about David. I don't know when David wrote this. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I guarantee, I bet you everything I've got, I put money on it. He didn't write this as a shepherd. He wrote this as an old man. I wonder how close he was to his death, looking back, going, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want because he was doing an eternal. That's why David, that's why God moves David to use the proper name of God, which leads us right to the redemptive God of grace, who's doing something for eternity, not just now. David went through a lot of turmoil. David went through a lot of turmoil. He was like running for his life. He's like acting like a dumb man at one point. Uh, You know, just letting spittle come down on, you know, he's acting like a fool. Uh, Right? And and he's, he's, he's in peril of his life, it seems like, more often than not. And then one of his chief desires was to build a house, a place of worship, and he can't even do that. I thought God was shepherding him. It doesn't make sense until we look at eternity and understand that God is actively working in a redemptive way in your life for eternity. So what is this redemptive purpose? Well, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Is that not the chief end of redemption? It is nothing less than fellowship with God. What does John say in the, in the uh, first epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 3? He says, listen, it's all, I mean, I write this title down. John, I know this title, the text down, sorry, the reference, because this is so important. John sums up all that he's saying in this one verse. He said, listen, it's all about this. This is what the Christian life is going to. This is where it is. He said, this is what we have. And this is what you can have too. And that's fellowship with the Father and with his Son. That's what it's all about. To know God. Doesn't Jesus say that in John 17, 3? And this is eternal life that they may know the, the only true God. Isn't this what the new covenant is about? Which you find in Jeremiah, recorded also in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. He'll give you a new mind. He'll forgive all your iniquity, all this stuff. But why? He will be your God. And you will be his people. Fellowship with God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the eternal work that he's doing. That's where he's bringing you. He will use every circumstance. He will defeat every foe. He will work in all the circumstantial situations. But he is seeing it in a bigger picture than you and I. And it may not look like he's dealing with that thing right here. But he is. 
And it might be that he grows character, that he conforms. There's this process of sanctification, right? Conforming us into the image of his own son. That we can have fellowship with him. He knows what is best. Isn't this what Genesis 1 reveals to us? Is the purpose of creation? He creates man in his own image. That he might worship him. Deuteronomy 6, 5 enunciates this so beautifully. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. First Peter 2 says that we are to be a holy habitation of God that can offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Christ. Revelation 21 ends the whole Bible, right? The Bible's ending this way. It says, then I, this is where it's all going. Listen, listen, this is what it's all about. This is the active, superintending, sovereign shepherding that God is doing, bringing you here in Revelation 21, 1-3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed, had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, now here it is, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. Emmanuel, with us, God. That's what God is doing as a shepherd. That's what he's doing. Well, that is question one. What is the ends that he is shepherding to? Question two. What must be true of our God to literally take this active position of shepherding, superintending over the lives of his people to bring them to this redemptive expected end? We're like out of time. Let me just throw a few things out there. And I challenge you, I encourage you to go think about the attributes of your God. Do you realize that every name will point to these attributes, by the way? Every name that you've been given so far will all point to these attributes um, that I know of, at least. How omniscient must he be? I wish I knew all of your names. Unfortunately, I don't. But I'd love to just put your name in there. How omniscient, how all-knowing must he be? to take everything for this eternal purpose and work it out so it leads you to that end. Listen, if someone's, I'm going to be a little terse here. Please forgive me. If someone is abused, that doesn't just get worked out. That doesn't just get made better. But God can and will shepherd that to the eternal redemptive glory, a far greater weight of glory 
than just making it not as if it did not happen. How omniscient must he be? How powerful or omnipotent to, to like, to, if he determines to make sure that you get to that end, how powerful must he be? He must have all power. He must not lose any of it. Any power that's given to anyone else has been delegated, never lost. How wise must he be? Because I don't understand all the circumstances of my life. I'm telling you, I don't. But how wise must he be to know and know that he is not only taking the best means to arrive at the most perfect ends. He doesn't just choose the perfect ends, but he chooses the perfect means. And if you and I were trying to figure that out, no way. I I bet everyone in this room would have a real struggle trying to have the wisdom of God, even just in your past life, to just understand how God is wisely using it. Think about Job. How wise must our God be? How sovereign. How in absolute control to make sure that his sheep get from here and they get over there. What does he say in that same chapter in John 10? He can lose none of his sheep. He is the good shepherd. The Father has given them to him. He is sovereign, and he is taking your life to an expected end if we have submitted it to our Lord and Savior, Christ. We could go on and on and on. I challenge you to. I encourage you to. I encourage you to go back, thinking of what this name means, the covenant-keeping God of grace whose promised redemption is actively, that's the shepherd part, superintending, ruling over, orienting, directing your life to eternal redemption. Let's finish. Christ, Christ, Christ. How has he chiefly done that? In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who takes on our form to provide this perfect redemption. I wonder if you were to write this psalm or I were to write this psalm, what would our testimony be? I can only imagine. I mean, when we're, I'm reading Psalm 23, I'm thinking, this, I'm seeing this old, old man, David, probably near death, and he's just going back over the circumstances and going back over the things in his life. And he's beginning to see it. I wonder what ours would be. On this side of the cross, do we not have much to say? I wonder if yours would be something like this. Jesus is my Redeemer and Shepherd. He has provided a perfect propitiation of God's deserved wrath. Yes, even for someone like me. I know the death I lived in. Not only so, but now I have been granted his perfect, enduring righteousness. 
what do I have to fear? For my shepherd has taken forever my form and is not ashamed to call me brethren. He has removed me from the kingdom of darkness of which I was a slave and a citizen and brought me into his glorious kingdom of light. Since my great shepherd is superintending every, every, every aspect of my life for the redemptive ends of fellowship with God, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, circumstantial reality, will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only this, but I have been given, but He has given me a new mind and heart to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, even I, in and through Christ can offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. In my great shepherd, I have fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, is my shepherd. I shall not want. Period. He will finish the redemptive work because he is literally superintending actively chooses to take a position of actively shepherding, orienting my life in a certain direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord shepherds me. He shepherds his people to an eternal, redemptive end. We just declare you I pray that we'd walk out of here gazing upon you as we think about the depth of what this title means, what you want us to grasp of your never-changing, redemptive work that you will complete. And the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may we walk out of here with joy. I pray that all of our circumstances would now begin to be seen through the reality of the eternal work that you are doing. You are definitely working them to and in. You are definitely defeating the enemy because you will complete a work even if there is an ongoing battle. You are bringing me to an expected, redemptive, eternal end, O oh God. We have every right in Christ now because he is our shepherd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In your precious name we pray, Lord. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. 
questions, join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.